0: The villain. Hello, this is David. Hey, this is Mo, and this is Cyberdelia. Our podcast about technology oh. and and really just an excuse for us to talk. So, I guess uh, fir- first order of business, Mo, <laughs> you you've been uh, studying. all all the quirks of various terminal emulators, and uh, the public
1: wants to know (laughs) which one is the one they need to pick. Oh, I don't know that I have that answer. I can tell you what I've experienced so far. So I guess I don't even know why I got into this, but I've always sort of used the default terminal emulator that came with the OS. With Mac, Mm -hmm. I just used terminal.app. And then with Linux, I was using, well, I'm on Fedora, so I'd use Gnome Terminal. And then something came across my radar uh, called Kitty. And so I looked at Kitty. Kitty was built by. Uh, an author that I recognized because I uh, used another program of his called uh, Calibre for managing my um, uh, book, my library oh, of ebooks. books Oh, uh, that's COVID. Yeah, COVID. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he wrote Kitty. So I started looking at Kitty, and I'm like, "What is this?" So it's a terminal emulator, and the difference between it and other emulators is that it's uh, it uses GPU rendering. Oh, so I started playing yeah. with this, and I'm like, "Oh, this is neat." So why would I want to switch? Why Why do people choose terminal emulators? Which led me to a Opening up Wikipedia and asking myself, "What is a terminal emulator?" David, what's a terminal emulator? Um, I'm probably the worst person to
0: ask. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, a terminal terminal emulators. Uh, if you're thinking in a historical context, and I'm probably getting this wrong, but um, so in in the old days, if you're connecting to you know the big computers, essentially you needed a terminal to access that, and so a lot of times you'll hear about like, "Oh, this SVT 100 emulation and that what it's emulating is an actual piece of hardware it was the vt100 uh, that did that um and so essentially if if you're looking for a shell onto a machine that's that's
1: where you're going to go um to the terminal you're going to go to the terminal um and so with the terminal emulator i could i i could in essence connect to these different pieces of hardware that's emulating the actual Protocol for communicating with it, like emulating the actual keystrokes that I would press on the old school VT or VT100 terminal itself.
0: Yeah, exactly. Although, um, I mean, there has been criticism that, especially in a lot of the earlier ones, so like Xterm, it's trying to emulate a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Um, but now that uh, now that the mainframe warmers are kind of over, um, and it seems like uh, we have, we've all kind of picked exactly what we want to do, which is VT100 in a lot of cases. Um, There's a need for a lot more lightweight terminal emulators now.
1: Right, and so one of the things against Xterm is that it supports so many different terminal emulations that it's bloated and it's hard to manage and there's all these different options out there. So I, I looked at Kitty. Kitty was interesting because of the GPU rendering. You could do configuration, I think, through like a YAML file. It had its own like framework for building extensions called Kittens. Um, it was it was just it had so many features. It had like tiling built in, very similar to like Tmux. Um, so I was like, okay, this is neat. Let's give this a try. It, Kitty ended up being a little bit too heavy for me. I didn't need something that pretty, that functional for the pro- most part. Like I use Tmux. Uh, like in terms of doing windows and panes, I'm, I'm comfortable doing that. I didn't want to drop everything I had in favor of just sort of adopting this new terminal. So Kitty, I didn't end up going with Kitty. I like it. I think it's still fun to check out and look at. Uh, but I wanted something smaller, something more minimal with less features, to be honest. So Mo, I mean, before we, we go on to the next one, uh,
0: for, for our listeners who are just sort of jumping into uh, working with em- uh, emulators, uh, terminal emulators, that is, um, why would you need something that can uh, use tmux and for those who aren't familiar with tmux it's a terminal multiplexer
1: Yeah. Um, For me, the way I got into it is I just, well, I started off with screen. So screen, I think, was the the predecessor to Tmux. And it was a way of managing multiple sessions within a a single pane or single window. So if you get onto an SSH session onto a server, um, you'd have to have multiple tabs or windows open to have concurrent SSH sessions open. So with something like screen, you could start up one session, you could SSH to a server, start up a session in screen, and then attach multiple panes or tabs with through that single ssh session so I entered Tmux through Screen via Cygwin on Windows. <laughs> so this goes back a little bit. Um, and then Tmux was, it, it, the difference between it and Screen is it did have a few more options and bells and Whistles. So you could do like the status bar at the bottom. You could change the color schemes. You could bind your own key bindings. And for the most part, the difference was Control-A versus Control-B as the default, uh, um, mm-hmm. I guess the leader keys for getting into Tmux. So uh, why? Uh, I just wanted to have a single terminal where I can manage panes and move it around and shift it as as I needed and um, having that uh, Tmux for the most part is on most systems so if I could jump onto someone's uh laptop or, or terminal i was pretty comfortable in terms of being able to get a screen or tmux session so today i've been using tmux for a few years now so i don't have a need to drop it in terms of learning new keystrokes or configuration for a brand new terminal that may or may not be around in a year or two or as mm-hmm. tmux seems like it's going to be here for a little bit
0: oh well i mean now that's been adopted by openbsd i i think it's going to be around forever um until they rewrite it with something much much better which i i don't know how they could but
1: uh, well, Screen was there, and mm-hmm. then we did Tmux, so it's possible. Oh, yeah. Um, and Screen's been there for a long time. Uh, this was GNU, I think, that actually uh, uh, originally. Yes, yeah. GNU Screen. GNU Screen. Yeah. So, uh, now, so Kitty wasn't cutting it for you. Kitty is is beautiful. Kitty is beautiful. So if I was starting from scratch, like, and I didn't already have my dot .files and things, maybe I would start with Kitty because it gives you everything you need. You've got the GPU rendering, you've got the Windows, you can readjust them, you've got a framework for uh, plugins called Kitty or Kittens. Uh, so, and it's it's very polished and looks nice. It's also cross-platform, so it runs on both Mac and uh, Linux. I don't really recall the Windows support, but that's really all I needed. So you could have your configuration stored in dot .files in one place, and, may, and it would run both in Mac and Linux, and you could So I think it's a great starting point for someone starting fresh. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm going to keep paying attention because I do like the software that COVID writes. Calibri is still in my list of things that I use. Um, But I was looking for more options. I'm like, okay, so now that I've played with Kitty, what else is out there? And then I had to go back to Xterm. I had never really looked at Xterm before. And um, it was nice, actually. I dropped it in. It just worked. It was big. Uh, I mean, not as big as Kitty, but it, it had way more bells and whistles than I needed as well. But my needs were quite simple. I needed something that I could use to do two things. One, I wanted color emoji. Because <laughs> the little things. Little things, you know? <laughs> um, I wanted to be able to use. So I have like some bash scripts that um, I use for, you know, in chat. I need to find the right emoji quickly. So I have a shell script that uh, will go fetch down a list of. Emoji via JSON endpoint, and then just feed it into FCF, and then I can do a fuzzy find for the emoji that I need based on uh, the description of the emoji. So I needed I needed to be able to continue to use this. And the second thing was I was hoping that I could find uh, a, a text-based browser that I could use for like rendering small things like images, because for the most part there's a lot of bloat on web pages, and, mm-hmm. and the information I need is just text. So I've been using W3M. And W3M IMG. <laughs> oh, I got a story there, but continue. <laughs> and so th- this was my test for the most part. It's like I just uh, crack open a shell in one of these terminal emulators, and I'd see, okay, can I render emoji, and can I render like the avatar from my website, and that was pretty much it. So from what I recall, Kitty passed. I went on to uh, URXVT. So this is RXVT Unicode, which is a mm-hmm. fork of RXVT with support for Unicode uh quote unquote (laughs) um this was very confusing to me so i looked at like the default packages that shipped with fedora and there were i think three or four different packages one was uh, rxvt unicode the other one was rxvt unicode 256 colors then there was rxvt unicode 256 colors ml and i was like what is the difference between all these uh versions let's just start with uh just RXVT Unicode, so I got that, and uh, emojis did not render, which is fine. And I started reading, how do I configure this? How do I get emojis to render in this? Because it seems like um, this is sh- this should be something I can configure. And for the most part, it uses uh, X resources and X defaults, which is like the default configuration files for like the X windowing system. Mm-hmm. So in those files, you can specify settings for um, all the X windows or specific programs that run in X, like. Um, so you could you would the, the way you configure it would be prefixing the program name dot and then the actual like, property that you want to set mm-hmm. So in the case of uRxVT you could do uh, uRxVT dot uh, Font name and then from there you give it a list of fonts So it supported also fallback fonts You could have a primary font for doing your primary rendering and then for glyphs or symbols that it couldn't detect in the primary font it would do a fallback And so uh, what I found is you can configure your primary font would be like your monospace font that you want to use for editing in your terminal. And then you'd include a fallback font for rendering your emoji characters. So uh, the font that I had sort of come to enjoy, there was one before this, but this was uh, the one I'm on is like Twitter color emoji is the font that I like for emoji. And this was based off of another project that sort of I think was abandoned, but it was another like open source uh, font for rendering emojis. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted my primary font to be like the default monospace font for my uh, system, and then the fallback to be the Twitter color emoji. So I did find a problem with that because uh, URXVT or RXVT Unicode depends on XFT, which is the font rendering tool for X Windows. Mm-hmm. And there, was a, there seems to be a defect in terms of how it renders color fonts. So the best that I could do was rendering uh, um, non-color emojis. So I ended up using Symbola TTF um, as my backup font. But I did eventually get like emoji rendering in the shell without colors. But, so that's OK. Now in W3M with W3M IMG, I was able to render an avatar easily. So that hit a few things for me. It was minimal. It was a pretty small program for the most part. I was able to render uh, Unicode characters as well as a subset of the emoji characters without color. And the end, I think I had to use the RXVT Unicode two fifty six color (laughs) with multi language support. Now it does two fifty six bit color, but it doesn't do true color, so you don't get the true color that you. So like you can see the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you if you prefer just like the black and white old school terminals, I mean for the most part it's not going to be an issue just stick with the default but I had come to use colors as part of my um, pattern recognition for writing software and I think this is (laughs) maybe contentious this is a whole other topic about using colors in your editor or terminals we'll save that
0: that for uh, another episode episode. we're going to take a quick break
1: and uh, we'll be back Okay. David, I have, I have a few questions because there's yeah. still like... So I've been talking a little bit about, about the X-windowing system. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of these things, like I've talked about like URXVT, the X refers to um, the X and the X-windowing system. VT mm-hmm. I think is like the terminal emulation they use for like the Unicode. Uh, I'm still like confused where like Wayland starts and X-window starts and what it means to have like a terminal emulator that prefers wayland if it's there is this something oh. that you could explain to me oh man is uh can of worms yeah okay maybe like explain like i'm five because Le- oh th- there, i don't know when the window manager starts when the actual okay as if you're five it's going to be a little tricky but i'll try my best and then after that okay I'll let's talk, say I'll talk 15, after explain like i'm 15
0: like okay like you're a 15 year old okay um 15 year olds understand uh wire protocols right
1: uh, I did to some extent. Yeah, yeah. let's ah, let's start with that. I, yep. I was doing socket programming at 15. Um, Your 15 was intense. Dave. Go ahead. It, it, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so essentially, X Windows started out. Uh, it, it was an MIT project. It came out, I think, with Project Athena in the 80s because MIT basically just wanted to, like, hey, we're going to do a whole ton of cool shit. Um, so I think Kerberos came out of Project Athena. Um, Kerberos is like the authentication protocol used in like Windows systems. That is correct. Okay. Um, and then uh, X Windows systems. Uh, I want to say the Chaos protocol as well. Um, I don't know that. Um, we'll save that for a later okay. episode. Okay. Yeah. But uh, essentially, uh, they wanted to have a way that you could use graphical programs. Remotely. And so, X Windows, uh, really, when you get down to it, is more a wire protocol than anything else. Um, oh. It just turns out that people don't really care that much about graphical applications over the wire. But um, sometimes you see this in industrial settings, actually. Um, I worked in a paper mill that did that. Um, I don't think they do anymore. But Nowadays, if you're running X Windows, you're running it locally. Um, you're
1: running both the client and the server locally, mm-hmm. whereas uh, this was developed at a time when you had dumb terminals, or we were evolving out of the dumb terminals right. where the heavy processing happened on the server. Exactly. Got it. Um, and so, sometime
0: I want to say, I want to say, in the last ten years, but I'm already seeing like I'm losing things. So let, let's just say at some point, um, there was a realization that there was uh, X is incredibly complicated. And and that's so obvious in that. So normally if you're writing an application these days, you're going to leverage one of the X libraries. So you'll see Xlib is one. Um, there's, I want to say Xclib, um, the logos of this adorable cat. Um, <laughs> Xcinnera. Uh, um, uh, yeah. Um, and so, uh, Normally, if you're writing a C program or a C++ program, you're going to leverage that. And a lot of times, languages will do bindings to that. But again, X is a wire protocol. So I think it's Erlang. Actually, they have a native wire protocol. Uh, like, I'm, I'm really hoping I have these details right. Because yeah, no otherwise, worries. this will be incredible. We're frozen. just going to hold you to we're it. Just gonna we're just going to hold you to it. We're going to put this on the internet. <laughs> um, we're gonna, just going to put it on the internet so everyone can mock me. Um, no worries. But yeah, so Erlang is uh, speaks to that protocol directly. Um, which is why the Erlang one is actually really snappy. So Wayland is sort of a response to X is really complicated. The code base is massive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's there's a handful of X programmers. I want to say Keith Packard is, I think he's the one running it these days. Um, But it's actually a fairly small group of people who understand how all of X goes together, which I mean, if, if you think in, of other major projects like OpenSSL or something, where yep. oh, it's we have this massive code base and only it's a few people really understand what's 1%. going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, like that's that's just dangerous. Um, especially when you're using uh, C, um, you have no memory protection, and uh, we we see a bunch of times where oh, hey, yeah, there's a X vulnerability, and because. Uh, most operating systems X actually has root access Um, this can obviously be a very dangerous thing I I think the exception to that is OpenBSD I'm not sure if it still has root access on that but they've they've been working on that over many years Um, so Wayland is the response to that Um, as far as I know there's some backwards compatibility on the protocol um, but it's it's I don't want to say it's a full rewrite, but it probably is. Um, and so it, it, it's it's supposed to be faster, snappier. I think it's, I know it has multiple input support, uh, which I think X has now, but uh, didn't at one point. So now it's, it's uh, that's why you're seeing it a lot more. Of course, you can't just replace X. Right. Um, uh, there's so a lot of programs that are still dependent on it. A so. lot of programs that are still dependent on it, and uh, yeah, because because the protocol was so hard, and you always had to use their libraries. Again, you're trying to shift it in a way that you're not going to break everything,
1: um, um, and that's just hard to do. Right. So, I'm running Fedora 31 today, which has support for both Wayland and X. Mm-hmm. So, the X programs can still continue to run, but programs that have been developed to leverage Wayland can also run. This is like the next generation windowing system. Is mm-hmm. that right? And um, so, I guess now this is sort of a bit of a segue, but we're just talking a little bit. URXVT, which was based on X. Mm-hmm. And in order to configure it, I had to change the X resources file or X defaults. I think X defaults is like deprecated now in favor of X resources. X comes with this thing called XRDB, which I believe is the X resources databases or database. So you can use the CLI to like query what's currently stored in the database. And this is how like X is currently rendering things. And if you want to change that, you can either merge or load uh, from a file in the file system, and then you have to like restart the program. So like even just configuring your XVT is a bit of a pain, especially if you're trying to tweak certain colors and you're not just pulling something off the shelf. Mm -hmm. And so, XRDB, that, I mean, that whole r- workflow was a bit painful for me. So first, yeah. like configuring it, figuring out what I need, getting it to reload uh, from XRDB into, from my file, kill the window, restart it back up. Um, it was a little painful. Okay, So I can mm-hmm. see like the baggage of X now, because yeah. uh, it was designed at a time when we didn't really think about having processing power on our local machines that mm-hmm. we have today. And Wayland is something that's that's like the next generation of that.
0: I mean, technology moves so fast that so cool. you can't expect software to stay, you know, uh, to to be able to do everything thirty years later, unless you're Vim, in which case <laughs> uh, you
1: can pull that off. It's interesting when you can build a program and that's still useful and applicable today and can be used today, like Vim mm-hmm. or like a lot of the Unix but ideas and tools. I I mean. I still think the complexity of X is best encapsulated
0: by that XKCD comic where it's uh, uh, this graph of my happiness and uh, time since I last had to modify xorg.conf. And there was a lot of truth in that. Um, (laughs) I I worked at a place where there was a considerable amount of uh, X work and uh, you know, I'm happier that I've forgotten a lot of that. Uh, It's it's not great. and that nowadays, video cards just work uh, out of the box. That's, uh, I think, that's done more for the Linux desktop than anything else. And there's a lot of processing power in that in that GPU. Like, mm-hmm. why not use it? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, the Nvidia drivers, uh, the AMD drivers, those work fairly well. Um, the proprietary ones, and even the non-proprietary ones. Um, so I know. Like Intel, they um, upstream all of their X support and- uh, That's great.
1: Oh, it's fantastic. Unlike NVIDIA, which is all closed source proprietary. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, although uh, again, as as long as you're willing to maintain those drivers, that's fine. The problem is, uh, especially if you decide that your hardware should actually be useful beyond three years, Right. Um, you'll find that trying to keep proprietary drivers running it's going to be a problem. And that's where... uh, That's a very good point. And open source, at the very least, there's always a, look, is anyone using this? Like, it it becomes your burden, but you can do that. You can keep that thing
1: alive. The possibility exists because it's open and a community can form around it to continue to keep it alive when the Mm -hmm. corporation has decided it's no longer financially feasible to do so. Absolutely. And,
0: I mean, certainly it's kind of a shame that that burden can get dumped on people who... I mean. Generally, if you're running older hardware, um, some of it's ideological. Like, I, you know, I, I sort of think hardware it, that fits its purpose, it should keep on running until it can't. Um, I see your record player. Yeah, my record player just keeps on rocking. So um, I, I don't really see why why I should need to replace that just because of a firmware update, right? Um, but saying, oh, OK, we're going to drop this old hardware support and... Uh, there's only so much old hardware you can support at the end of the day.
1: Um, And then there's the cost benefit of like, do we even need to keep this legacy code alive to support, you know, the the small number of people? And maybe we can offload those to those small number of people to actually take care of it. Mm -hmm. But you you do end up in some
0: situations where, um, so there's been a lot of uh, industrial manufacturers um, where essentially equipment was built and uh trying to keep support running over time because the hardware that they actually support so say you have this multi-million dollar cnc mill um you're gonna have windows xp attached to that well okay that company's out of business you can't move the cnc mill okay so what is a cnc mill um oh that one We'll have to get a, a hardware expert on at some point. Okay. Uh, um, who, we'll who can get explain that better than
1: definition.
0: me? Definition. I I just know. I just think of it as it's a five million dollar machine that if I touched it, I would break it. Uh, yeah. um,
1: okay. So right, perfect software.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that that software, it's proprietary, and it could be on like Windows ninety eight or Windows XP or uh, you know pre Linux two point six. Right. Uh, who knows?
1: Don't patch it. Leave it alone.
0: <laughs> you it's you can't patch it. Right. Um, the, and so once the operating system or any of the libraries around it are end of life, I mean, you're not going to throw out a $5 million piece of equipment just because, you know, oh, well, they're not doing patches on this. Um, so, yeah, you yeah. you build a team around it to support it and keep it going. Mm hmm. So so stepping back, that that's kind of why I'm a big fan of uh, video cards that can run all. With non-proprietary drivers, like they may not be quite as good as the proprietary ones, because I know AMD and NVIDIA they put in some special sauce on some stuff. Yep. Um, so, for example, uh, I know some video game uh, developers they they end up kind of they need to be worked around, um, and, and so like the proprietary drivers they will check the executable, see, oh, hey, it's this game. We know this game has problems. Here's how we address the game. So it's actually fixed at the, at the driver level instead of the game level, which no is kidding. bonkers. Um, and so that just sounds gross. Oh, it's so terrible. <laughs> but but that's what it is. Um, and so uh, the things we depend on. Oh oh man yeah. <laughs> it's, Let's it's not go down the rabbit right. hole today. Yeah. Um, so yeah. with that, that's. Uh,
1: xkcd happiness
0: literally. xkcd happiness the less you have to touch xorg the better and wayland way less com- uh, complicated and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it uh, i i can't i don't confess i understand it all but uh i mean the results kind of speak for themselves so
1: this is sort of a nice segue to the next terminal emulator that uh, i was looking at um maybe mm-hmm. we could take a break let's th- take
0: a break and after that we're going to talk more about terminal
1: emulators thank you the next terminal emulator actually this wasn't the next one um, but the most recent one that i was looking at was a la Critty. this is really interesting mm-hmm. it's also uh gpu rendering um, it however will work with wayland by default if your Ooh. system supports it and has a fallback to x windows if necessary so this was also interesting because it's written in rust so this Ooh. is still a, a pre-1.0 release. It's still very new. Mm-hmm. Uh, configuration is done via YAML file. It has an option to auto-reload uh, from the configs. So you can actually modify your fonts and your color schemes and see it actually changing oh. without having to restart the terminal. And I'm telling you, like that experience alone is amazing, just being able to like tweak little things and see it reflected almost immediately. There's certain things that do need a restart, like when you're changing uh, properties about the window. But for the most part, I really enjoyed the experience of like configuring this wow. and playing with this. It is cross-platform. Um, it's Rust, so it runs on uh, Mac OS, Linux, BSD, pretty sure Windows. I think uh, anything that has a GCC compiler now, because I think there's, or I'm sorry, I'm thinking
0: of Go. I first heard about uh, Alacrity. Um, when i was reading so dan lu did the this article right. on latency figures in uh terminals and uh i think alacrity and terminal.app i think were were uh in the lead for how quickly they process things of course there was a bit of a slowdown in tmux but uh
1: I yeah. was surprised when I
0: read that. I was like, why did I leave terminal.app? Why didn't I just stay there? So uh, f- for a little context, folks, and uh, we'll post it in the show notes, uh, Dan Liu had done uh, some look into latency figures, so how quickly things would draw to the screen.
1: Um, responding to Control-C.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, it turns out there is some very uh, wide variability. Um, and uh, so actually, you know, the terminal emulator that you pick does matter quite a bit
1: uh, depending on how snappy you want things. Um, or notice it for mm-hmm. the most part, and and the thing that's interesting about that article is the way that he was measuring latency was different from many other uh, experiments mm-hmm. in terms of testing speed. So like he put his system under like when it was idle versus under load, and by load I think he was like compiling Rust from scratch, <laughs> and then um, and then measuring things like the speed to respond to Control C. So like how many lines that were actually emitted to the terminal between you hitting Control-C and it actually recognizing that key press. And that is a form of latency. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good metric. Uh, what were the other uh, measurements? You're talking about like uh, uh, tailing like a long log file and how quickly yeah. it was drawing that to screen. So those measurements were actually really surprising to me. I didn't I didn't expect that. And terminal.app, and was it Alacrity that? Uh, I think it was Alacrity that was uh, at the top. And my apologies if it's not. but. Uh,
0: uh, certainly, that was where I first heard of it, um, and uh, you know that article. It made me think a lot about latency, um, basically from key press to start of terminal. So uh, he also did another one on keyboards where he would uh, measure with a uh, with a logic analyzer from key press to when you would actually get a signal at the end of the cable. Um, and it turns out uh, there's again. Uh, a great amount of variability um in that and so i mean you can lose 50 milliseconds which doesn't sound like much but if you're looking at the doherty threshold which is at 400 milliseconds you know it it, it all adds up really quickly and so if you uh if you had you know a really snappy keyboard and uh really snappy alacrity. um you, you can still suffer in, in a lot of different ways. That uh, So, for example, uh, at one point I was finding my uh, bash was, it, I would see 500 milliseconds to start a new shell. That's, Your bash RC
1: is loading too much.
0: Oh, God, it was. <laughs> and so I, I threw a set dash X. Just to in see what it's loading. Bash RC. Yep. And oh, my God. Apparently, I have bash completion for everything. everything. <laughs> uh, so once I cut that down to about 500 operations that I deemed kind of necessary, then...
1: All of know, a sudden, your Bash login shell wasn't oh, so expensive to start. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, the little things, right? The little things. Well, I mean, when
0: when you're operating on a whole bunch of terminals trying to get everything going, you, you don't want to wait you know, a second and a half just, just for you know pretty colors or
1: something. well uh, <laughs> nice thing. nice though they are. <laughs> I've always said I want my computer waiting for me, not the other way around, especially mm-hmm. when I'm editing code or, you know, in in your case like sshing to different OS. Um, having to wait for your computer is is painful. Mm-hmm. Especially it's your job, it's so well, and
0: uh, there's another article um, that we were sharing earlier. Uh, we'll also put this in the show notes that was comparing a Mac Plus with a 2007 top-of-the-line AMT processor running Windows XP. Um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, working with Mac Plus, uh, you can actually be just as effective on a whole lot of operations. Um, and, I mean, if, if you look at the keyboard latency thing, well, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, with the Apple, it, it was a proprietary keyboard, Pin layout, which I remember because I had to uh, try to rewire a keyboard to get one working. Uh, once upon a time, and uh, yeah, so you've got that. You've got if, if as long as you can control everything from, you know, the key press all the way to writing to the screen, you can do that really darn fast. Uh, and we're, we're paying for these abstractions so that you know we can just buy. Buy a keyboard at Best Buy and plug it right in. You sound like a cranky old man. Ah, kids these days—they don't know how fast they can have <laughs> have a terminal.
1: Then <laughs> um, we, you know, so I can't really end this discussion about terminal emulators without bringing up the Suckless Simple Terminal uh, from suckless.org. Uh, their software, obviously, if you haven't heard of Suckless, they just build minimal software with just just enough and nothing more. Uh, I have been playing with ST. I have applied a few patches, very few, um, but it's also amazing. It's, uh, it's dependent on X11. It, it's some, there's something very satisfying about taking source code, compiling it, and building your own binaries. For the most part, all it does, the default, it just builds a single executable, ST. Uh, I think it defaults to user local as a namespace for where to install it and creates a, its man page. Uh, you customize it by editing the config.h. So there's no like runtime (laughs) configuration. None of that mess. (laughs) None of that mess. There is a patch um, (laughs) that you can apply that will read from like X resources. Uh, I did not apply this patch because I don't want to mess with X resources. I mean, you could always just poke the memory, like.
0: (laughs) I mean, that, that that's what real programmers do. It's just—is it is that what they do? I oh need golly. to look this up. <laughs> if if so, I don't want to be a real programmer.
1: <laughs> I will say it's quite satisfying to have something so small. It's like one C file, one, uh, you know, a couple of header files, a minimal, like very easy to read make file, mm-hmm. and that is your terminal emulator. Uh, it does support true color, two fifty six color. I was able to get emoji rendering working for uh, non color emoji. Again, it suffers from the same problem as. Uh, URXVT in terms of it depends on XFT for uh, rendering glyphs that uh, do not appear in your primary font. But there, the font, the one patch that I did have to apply was the font too, so I could have the secondary fonts mm-hmm. in case it wasn't in the primary. But it's also it's been really nice actually. Nice, it's been nice. Well, I mean, it, so if you're
0: already comfortable with uh, compiling, you know, your terminal emulator, I'm sure uh, what would also appeal uh, to our audience is. Uh, looking at alternative windowing managers as well. Yes, so, so DWM is on my list. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I I don't recall if that's derived from uh, so one of the very early ones, and it I don't know if it's still in in uh, Fedora by default, but it was there for a really long time. Is uh, TWM, which I think was Tom's Window Manager, um, that was one of the earliest. And uh, when when I say it's it was small, I think the original file it was just twm.c and and you, <laughs> that, that was your window manager uh and yeah th- there's such a variety of window managers that you can use uh, that are all trying to accomplish different things and i'll be honest this is probably why uh, i'll be s- switching back from uh from my current mac configuration back to linux is i really missed having a tiling window manager um so for a long time i would use rat poison which Essentially, it, uh, it is a tiled window manager. It allows you to um, do just about everything from the keyboard. Because there, there was one time, I, essentially, a lot of the stuff I end up finding and end up using, because uh, I've, I've always taken a view of hardware of use it until it breaks, and then what happens is something breaks, and I just have to work around it for, for the meantime. So, oh, I didn't have a working synaptics driver Uh, for my laptop. Okay, well, I I can just use a Tile Window Manager and uh, I'll just do everything by the keyboard. Perfect. Um, Or another case uh, I was in was I had, I wanted to have dual screen, um, but I had video cards that did not actually uh, work with X properly. So what I ended up doing was I, uh, there was a patch, and I think it's still available on my blog. I'll put it in the show notes as well. It allows you to use uh, the Linux uh, kernel frame buffers. Um, and so you bypass Whoa. X entirely, <laughs> uh, and you just have terminals. And, and, you know, you can flip between the two. Uh, but using that and SVGA lib, which it it basically, uh, if I recall correctly, it's, it's, it's handling all the VGA stuff so that... You can watch videos and stuff. Uh, so uh, there was a, uh, I want to say W3M, but I don't think it was them. There was, it was someone else. There there was a terminal uh, browser as well. So you get the pictures in that. MPlayer also I think has VGA support, and uh, you know using uh, Cmus for uh, music, music and stuff. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was deprived. Um, although I think anyone who uh, looked at my setup, would just say, "Dave, you know, maybe you should just pay another hundred dollars, get yourself into a new laptop, <laughs> because that—that's all it would cost to replace What's all the this." Fun in that. Oh, wow, it's so true, though. Uh, I, I think it's. Once upon a time, I had this idea I was going to write a book on. I, I was calling it uh, "Camping with Linux," and the whole idea was how to uh, basically live out of the terminal. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just, oh, here's here's how you get the weather. Here's how you do all this to this. You don't need X windows for that. You're fine.
1: Right. Um, and this is something that you get with, like, a tiling window manager where you can actually live in that single pane of glass and have your browser in one little tile and your terminal editor in the other. Oh,
0: oh. I, well, I mean, that still requires X. This, this was oh, I no X entire... Just use the... Just use the Linux kernel frame buffers and... You you were flying. I have um, no idea what you're talking about right now, but it sounds dangerous. Oh. You have like uh, on the edge.
1: It, I wouldn't say it's dangerous.
0: I think it was just cheap. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it works. I don't like, need all these things in the way. Let me, oh, yeah. give me the video card. I just want to write right to it.
0: Pretty much. And, uh, you know, especially at one point I was trying to use these old Sun workstations, but I, I couldn't quite get the uh, graphics working, so uh yeah i had i had OpenBSD on uh i want to say workstation uh it was, it was the five or something it, it was a it was early ultra spark but yeah there was no x so you just you just learned how to do it all through uh through the terminal and i, I, I had a blast
1: i guess you get a pretty deep appreciation of all the layers that we've added since then Mm-hmm. And what they're doing, and what value they add, and what features you enjoy and don't need, and being able to control your computer to the level where you can have just enough to satisfy your own need makes it your computer. Absolutely. Well, and I mean,
0: there's there's never going to be a shortage of computers. That I mean, a Raspberry Pi. Oh my! God, I would have, I would have killed someone for a Raspberry Pi when I was a teenager. Not literally.
1: Not literally. Uh, not literally. Figure um, figured.
0: Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I a lot of my earlier computers were ones that I would buy at the town transfer station. So basically, the junkyard. Yep. Um, like my first Red Hat machine was salvaged from the junkyard. Um, and that's how I uh, learned about uh, single user mode. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so. That sounds like an adventure we need to unpack one day. Uh, definitely. But if you can operate on very cheap hardware, you can. You can make anywhere your home, effectively. Yep. Um, a, a lot of people uh, I know that they're, a, a, as you said, you know, like, I want to be able to run my computer and make it work for me. Um, uh, a lot of people will walk their computer. Um, they won't run them. They, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: what do you mean? Let's unpack that. They will walk their computer, meaning they don't actually push the limits of They it, don't is. push the limits. Right. They don't automate anything.
0: Um they, they take it for granted and so if if you're just using the default browser because that's what came with your computer I mean there's nothing wrong with that if you really enjoy it and right. I certainly you know there are people whose time is better spent on doing the things they're doing like I, I don't think an accountant really needs to be working with the frame buffers you know like I don't think uh, I don't think a radio celebrity is that keen on you know getting uh, M player working <laughs> without x but if you work as a software developer you really want to know what
1: the value of of your hardware is and uh it and pushing the boundaries of what your system can do, and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to happen day one as a software dev. This happens over time. You get sort of deeper and deeper in the stack, and you want to. Absolutely. Wanna... I mean, that's part of software engineering is like testing the boundaries of how far can I push this before it breaks, and what are the limitations, and why does this matter? Why do these limitations exist? Mm-hmm. Do I need this? Can I can I do more with less? Wow,
0: well, and I I mean I feel. We're kind of lucky, Mo. Uh, we we actually had a generation of stuff like you know downloading ISOs where that took a whole weekend. You know, <laughs> we like, my oh man, <laughs> I can't wait to burn like twenty CDs so that I three need of them the will foam. work. Get yeah. off the internet! <laughs> oh yeah. So when when you understand what you can pack into a megabyte, like yep. So uh, the recording device we're using, we've got a sixteen gigabyte SD card. I mean that. That's massive. Oh, that's a ton of room, and yeah. we're recording at CD quality. It's great, but yeah, when uh, again, I, I'm trying not to sound like grizzled old man here, but uh, when when people with you know quad core top of the line MacBook Pros are complaining that it's kind of slow. Well, why? Well, why? Be, yeah. Because you, you've you got a supercomputer, uh,
1: <laughs> as, as far as I'm concerned. and um... Yeah, I think that's interesting, because there's this underlying idea that for you to be a professional, mm-hmm. you know, professional engineer, you need to have top quality hardware, meaning you need to spend eight to ten grand on a laptop to be able to be an engineer. No, you can really do a lot by going to the junkyard or yeah. picking up a secondhand PC and running a free distro and actually produce very high quality good software mm-hmm. uh, it's not something that requires a lot of money and i think that uh, connecting these ideas of having like expensive hardware to produce uh, professional software uh, doesn't really make sense you can do quite a bit in fact the the uh, pc i'm running at home <laughs> for my day job uh, is actually a secondhand pc that i bought off of a hobbyist from uh, kijiji and it serves my needs perfectly Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't think that I've actually been able to accomplish, you know, what I've been able to do on that little thing, and it, it's for the most part, it took more of my time in understanding how to tweak it uh, to my needs than actually uh, requiring the money to do so. So mm-hmm. if you've got the time, you don't necessarily need a lot of money to actually enter this field and be very uh, successful in mm-hmm. it. And I don't want people to with uh, expensive hardware to feel bad about it because no, yeah, so, enjoy um, your hardware.
0: Yeah, the person who does coding hoarder. Horror, not hoarder. Uh, is that although, Jeff Atwood? Jeff Atwood. Yeah. Although, uh, side note, coding hoarder sounds like an awesome thing for uh, anyone who's doing archiving of old programs. <laughs> Let's just do a quick who is.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, looking at the cost of hardware. And you don't want to be in a spot where, okay we ended up wasting 20 hours trying to work with this junky hardware when we could have paid a hundred dollars to right. just replace it. Yep. Um, absolutely. You should always, always, always do that cost benefit. But I mean, for home computing and honestly for a lot of work computing still, um, because I, I know there's a lot of workplaces where like perfectly good monitors end up in e-recycling, um, just because they're not big enough. Well, I, those are still good monitors. Yep. Um, it shouldn't be an arm and a leg and i think uh that's it's why i'm really excited to see future generations of uh developers because uh it especially now it's very easy to get into the game you know young and uh you you can buy a computer with your allowance um and and like a nice computer not something that you i mean don't get me wrong i was happy with the junkyard computers but uh I mean, a Raspberry Pi, you've got an HDMI
1: out. You've got... Ethernet. Ethernet. You've got... You can webcam. You can hook oh. up a webcam. There's so much you can do on there. You can play Quake. Like... Yeah. I, I... It took a...
0: It took quite a while before I had a computer that played Quake. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, man. Quake 1? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what uh, what computer I had, the first one I had that might have been able to play Quake, and that was probably... I, so I got a new laptop when I went to university. had Windows XP um, for all of... I think I did have XP for the whole time, but I was i was just taking class notes on it. Because I also had another computer, which I, I was running uh, OpenSUSE at the time. Because university, like, you need to experiment. Um. Yeah, it's a time where <laughs> your job
1: is to be a student, to learn, so... Yeah,
0: um, and, and for those at home, I, I am not a computer science person. Uh, so, uh, yeah that this it was more important than i did what i did at the time if you want to get into computers now it has never been easier the soft the the knowledge is freely available like you you can run a really great development environment on a, a computer that was made in 1999, 1999 and i know this because i was doing this just a few years ago um you know i, I threw the latest OpenBSD on it ran a spell. Um, uh-huh. That I know that websites had some problems. Um, and, and I mean, the bloat of uh, web browsers That's going to be another future subject. <laughs> web browser um, bloat. Oh, man, browser bloat's so bad. Um, yes, and, now we have features to prevent oh, loading websites in your browser. Uh, that, that's Google AMP in a nutshell. Yeah, as, uh, yeah it turns out uh, to do things quickly, you need to remove features, which goes back to if, if you want to have a really slick uh terminal environment it really helps to ask yourself what it is you need so do you need color yes or no some people do some people don't to each their own do you need unicode support these days i'd say yes but it's not always necessary
1: um you don't need like full unicode like the i guess the entire emoji character set isn't important so you can get away with uh Uh, reduce unicode but for the most part yeah you Mm got to be unicode aware at least in your development absolutely um and uh your bash or or any
0: other shell so uh, if you're using zsh or um did you say zsh i know so uh i am now actually i got my canadian citizenship (laughs) uh so so it is zsh now Um, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah if you're running one of those shells you know what just uh, figure out what's actually loading on every single shell load because chances are like 95% of that stuff you don't actually need um and like David said earlier set dash x mm-hmm. and that well it, there's certainly a, a benefit to using a, a logic analyzer for your keyboard and doing hard benchmarks honestly sometimes it's just stopwatch like you don't have to get fancy with it.
1: You right. you kind of know when it's slow and when it isn't. Yeah, and there's actually like perceived performance versus actual performance, and I think for the most part, perceived performance it, it has a lot of merit these days, especially in editing mm-hmm. uh, code. But there's, I guess, what I like about that Dan Liu article is like he's looking at performance from a different perspective than that was typically done. So yeah, th- that's that's a great thought. Yeah, that's engineering worth
0: applauding, yes. and. Um, yeah, I, I think that's our episode wrapping up. We um,
1: didn't even talk about Vim 8.2 and uh, oh, the language God. server protocol. I was so excited to learn more about this. I guess that's going to have to be the next episode, Mo. I've, um, yeah, it's going to uh, have to be. Okay, well, I still haven't switched to NeoVim, and I was going to ask you. So maybe next time we could talk about this? Next time we're going to talk about this. Um, oh, so, DNS crypt, I want to talk about oh, DNS crypt. God.
0: <laughs> yeah, this, I think we're going to be in... Uh, i I'm, I'm looking forward to the next episodes so uh apologies uh in, in advance or is it in retrospect for any technical matters that we may have gotten wrong uh feel free to write in although be warned uh if, if you come at us uh we will ask you to be on the show so uh be careful what you wish for for that matter yes or anyway. anyone who who wants to come on this show uh we're looking forward to it so uh this episode was brought to you by tmux it's great <laughs> try it out or or screen screens screens got some nice stuff too uh, it this episode is also brought to you by coffee uh, very good very coffee. good coffee
1: um terminal emulators in general uh, this uh, episode could i also say this episode was brought to you by nord theme the nord theme color theme Ooh. oh
0: well in that case i may also have to bring up solarized uh it's a classic uh, it's a classic well That about wraps up this episode. Uh, Thank you very much for listening and talk to you next time. Uh, I'm David. I'm Mo. This was Cyberdelia.